Hey, yeah, no listeners. This is Mia. And this is Tina. And we've been in the studio working hard to bring you an amazing fourth season. But in the meantime, we wanted to leave you with a little something to listen to at the beach while you wait this summer. So you may remember our special guest and friend of the podcast, Sarah Hedgren, who was our guest on episode 29. She's a design researcher, artist, writer, professor, and she came on the podcast a few months ago to chat with us about disability and design. And it's one of our most popular episodes. Yeah, like a million downloads. Just a little behind the scenes for you here. Yeah, no, not everything we record makes it into the podcast. And there's actually so much more to this conversation with Sarah that we love so much that we decided to turn it into our first bonus episode. And as a little bit of background, we met Sarah a few years ago at the Institute for the Future in San Francisco. And the conference was focused on aging. And at the end of the conference, we each delivered just a little bit about, you know, our last closing thoughts. And Sarah just had this really lovely challenge to not just think about independence in aging, but that dependence is also not a bad thing. And she mentioned how a lot of the conversations in aging are all about maintaining independence or restoring independence. And that to be dependent or interdependent on people brings them closer together and as kind of social beings it's something that we don't necessarily mention or strive for but maybe it should be and we just loved it you know we love interdependence here at Yano that's what we's all about so here's our first bonus episode so you can hear what Sarah Hendrian has to say about it do you just say that's what we's all about yeah <laughs> Please. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, have you built on that thinking or do you have any evolution of thought with that? Or have you changed thought about that? There was a lot of wonderful, productive conversation in that Institute for the Future, this kind of convening on the future of aging and the assumption among people who were mostly not in that aging population in that room was that preserving, you know, like avoiding the dependence on others and preserving independence at all costs would be the kind of best good for that. And I think this is a classic case where designers and all of us, I think, don't exercise the sufficient powers of imagination to go like, well, hey, what actually does make a good life? And if you actually look at the statistics, among aging folks, it's actually loneliness and depression. Those are the big things that people struggle with enormously. Around that time, I was made aware of speaking exchange. And speaking exchange is nothing more than a connection between older adults living in an assisted retirement center, um, assisted living center in Chicago, and Brazilian teenagers who are learning English. And it does nothing but take an extant resource, which is older adults who have time on their hands and expertise in English, and place them with these students in a, you know, a, a weekly meeting by a video chat. I mean, it's, it's like nothing. But what's so profound about that project is that it actually, it brings people to one another, rather than this question about like, well, is, it, is, a, is a robot an appropriate caregiver you know, for um, an older adult? That's an interesting question. I think it's a debate we should be having. But meanwhile, there are all these opportunities for actually enriching the interdependent life of people who are older. And there are all these ways in which their deep 
knowledge and wisdom and, and expertise is going wasted because we've decided that being old is something that means you should be only with old people in a dedicated facility, usually outside of town, and that it's sort of your usefulness is over. And, you know, and that's what I meant in, the, in this, in my sort of, sort of summative comment about why we're all stakeholders in disability. And that is that I actually think that interdependence is the truest state of human being. I mean, I actually think that our vulnerabilities and our need for one another is in our hard wiring and is something that should be designed with and for, not to preserve us against, you know? None of that is to romanticize the messed up kind of economy of caregiving that we have in our culture. I mean, I say this as a mother of a child whose life I will always be intertwined with, you know, um, we're talking about cognitive disability. And so I think about this a lot, but I don't think that, I, I, I can only say that I agree with that statement even more now, Tina, because I just, I've never been so convinced that a life that is affirming of our interconnectedness and a, a life that claims for each of us, I'm not just caregiver, I'm also on the receiving end of care, from my son, you know, but that, that, that each of us is on the giving and receiving ends of those things. And if we can design toward that, we get actually a richer life. And it's just a trap of kind of American individualist uh, uh, presumption that all of our design work goes toward making these hermetically sealed selves, you know, and proxies for care. I mean, in my book, I'm talking about a man who, when he got an early diagnosis of ALS, started right away working on designing the residence that he would live in, that he knew his body would need 10 years hence. And the residence is a beautiful design. It's incredible because his mobility is now restricted to eye movements and with just eye tracking software, he can open and close all the doors and summon the elevators and turn on and on the, you know, his radio and his HVAC and everything. But what's actually more interesting than any of that is the community of care that's built there and like the life that's worth living, even in this profoundly altered body. I mean, that's what's actually so moving and so, again, affirmative of life as it is, life with interdependence. That's what disability is really inviting us to say. It's like a real rebuke to the way things are, to the myth of individualism. So, yeah. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, what you're... Yeah. What is it about? And yeah. yeah, I mean, it really is about two things. One is the absolutely stunning and also very urgent creativity of the human body when it's adapting to the built environment, right? Bodies of all kinds. What is it doing? Adaptation, adaptation, adaptation. And that people with disabilities are the most interesting and profound resource for what it takes to do adaptation well. I mean, we know from human history that we're all using tools all the time, right? From stone tools in the prehistoric age to like fork and knife and chopsticks and eyeglasses and smartphones and scissors and paper clips and everything. We're all using tools, prosthetic tools. But people with disabilities have been doing a much more sophisticated work of adaptation for a long time. And so it's kind of about like, wow, just engaging your wonder at that at adaptation as it's happening in real time. So it's stories like that. And then it's about design, the built world, at the moment when bodies bump up against it. And so it's about that kind of give and take back and forth. When does the body have to flex and bend to adapt to the world? And when does the world have to flex and bend to adapt to the body? And so I tell that story of Steve Sailing, who has ALS and designed an architectural residence for himself. But I also tell the story of a man with one arm who has never found uh, real use in prosthetic limbs and 
suddenly has a newborn baby and has to figure out how to change his diaper with one arm. You know, it's like the body doing these incredible things all the time that are both extraordinary and ordinary. So it's design at all scales. Like what's the prosthesis for changing your newborn baby's diaper with one arm? And then what's the architectural residence where you want to live if you were to get a diagnosis of ALS? And so it's all this kind of the energy of that adaptation. And what I'm asking the reader to ask herself is, where am I doing all that adaptation? And what would I do? What will I do when my body is different than it is now? And will I flex and bend? Or will I ask the world to flex and bend? And which would it be and when? And kind of have the agency to act accordingly. So I am in like the revision stage right now, but really the book is meant to try to introduce disability to people who think they know about it and probably associate it with like a tragic subject they don't really want to talk about. It makes them uncomfortable. I'm sort of like, be interested, like just be interested in the body. It's like doing all this amazing stuff. And if you can kind of let go of your pathos and baggage about that, it gets, the questions get really, really compelling. So yeah. it's trying to do that tricky work, you know, like be interested. And also there's all these politics at stake. So it's like trying to get that right is what's fun and hard about it. <laughs> Sounds fascinating. Wow. I, it, I think it's so interesting because we're always talking about adaptations. Humans are amazing at adapting. And I think yeah. uh, what they're not amazing at is realizing how they have adapted because they kind of just go into it like yeah. this, you know, yeah. and, and then we're always in our interviews with people when we're going into homes and we're, you know, a lot of times we have to point out to them like, well, look at this, you, you know, this is something that you, and they're just like, oh yeah, I guess I, you know, they don't really right. like realize yeah. there's so much to be gained and learned from the way that people adapt because the instinct is to want to design for everyone. And when you do that, you design for no one. And yeah. it, it, that's an intimidating thought. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing, right, though, that designers can really fundamentally offer is what Maxine Green called social imagination, which is thinking as if things could be otherwise. That's what she said, you know, and I think in disability at the Adaptive Design Association, the director there said to me, there's plenty of people who have needs for a different product or a different shape of the world. And there's actually plenty of people with the technical skills to build them. What's actually missing is in the middle, it's the agency to ask the question, can I have a thing that doesn't already exist? And can you help me do it? Right. I mean, I think all of us are, it's like what you said, Tina. I mean, we are so busy adapting that we've internalized the workarounds that we do, but we've also just accepted that it's our bodies that have to bend and flex to the world. And we don't often say, is there some place where we could think things could be otherwise? Yeah. And when people revolutionize nursing home care, it's because a couple of people went like, you know what, the status quo is unacceptable, unacceptable. <laughs> like, and then now I'm gonna wade through the five, 10 years of bureaucratic red tape, soul crushing details that have to happen to make this change, but they do it, you know? And I just, I can't ever get over, I never get over that middle person, like the will to prototype and go like, I'm just going to try, like, I'm going to try something else instead of saying it's lamentable, but can't be helped. To me, good designers are doing that always. That's what's so magical about working with engineers because they're the same way. They're like, this table sucks. Like, why does it have to be this way? They're just like, oh, the whole world looks like it's under construction to them because they know how it's built, you know? So they're right. like, this doesn't have to be this way. Right. And that's what, that's what I love about design too. We just wanted to thank Sarah for coming on the podcast today. 
Yeah, we hope you guys love it. And if you do, then you should think about subscribing to us at Yeah No, Y-A-H-N-O podcast. You can find us on the internet and on Instagram. Yes, we've been trying to post more. Um, so like our stuff, please, and subscribe. This episode was edited and produced by Tori Flack. Our theme song is written and performed by Chess Smith. <laughs>